Welcome back to a fresh edition of the Tahoe Tap Podcast, everyone. Thanks for spending some of your valuable or just very passive time with us. Depends on how you listen to podcasts out there. It's Mike Perrin and Rob Galloway here, hoping you have your brain sponge squeezed dry and ready to soak this one up. Per usual, though, no COVID, no war news here because we sort of got all, all of that already, right? There's plenty of that going around. We are bringing you a summary of local news headlines, conversation starters for your dinner party, plus an overview uh, or sort of a save the date guide for springing back to normalcy in terms of events. Then batting in the cleanup spot, Joanne Marquetta, executive director of the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency or TRPA as it's called. And, you know, I, I say eloquent is the first word, word. Yeah, um, word that comes to mind for her responses uh, as we chatted uh, while she really gives us a pretty palatable explanation of a really complex but necessary agency for Lake maybe, Tahoe. Maybe thorough, too. She was pretty thorough. That is a fact. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so that's coming up at the end of the pod. But right now, it's time to thank our sponsors, Lake Tahoe Aleworks, Cocktail Corner, and the new shiny toy, the Bistro at the Corner. They've got two Aleworks, one at Stateline, one at the Y. They've got the Cocktail Corner. Tons of entertainment, tons of options, pour your own beer, wood-fired pizza, really good tapas, all of that. But the Bistro is going to be your upscale dining, and that is opening soon. I got a little sneak peek at the construction a couple days ago. It's going to be real nice, so stay tuned for that. Okay, Rob, jumping into uh, the heart of it here, your local news. All right, so back on January 5th, the Tahoe Environmental Research Center, a.k.a. Turk. They took the first late clarity measurement for 2022 and the second disc that was, it was visible at 138 feet, Mike. That's what? That's crazy. Um, That is the second deepest measurement recorded since the routine monitoring started in 1968. The best being 142 feet on February 8th of 1968. But there's a big old but in here. Um, the team observed that it was a result of what they call a lake upwelling event. You know, high winds the previous day, they caused that deep water from the bottom of the lake to rise to the sur- surface, a distance of 1,500 feet, and remain there for a couple of days before sinking back down. Uh, and then when that second disc measurement um, was recorded, the disc wasn't measuring the clarity of the surface water, but it, instead it was measuring the clarity from the bottom. And what does that mean? Just means basically that uh, the bottom of uh, the lake is quite clear and not dark and murky and scary. Uh, when you saw this, what did you think, Mike? It's like, holy smokes, that's awesome. And then it was like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think the bottom would be the murky stuff, but uh, it's just so cold down there. Nothing can really uh, live, I guess. Yeah, just cold and dark. I mean, that's all it is, but it's but it's clear. <laughs> All right, so moving to the Douglas County side of the lake, uh, given the population growth it has seen, it was one of five counties subject to losing its guaranteed tax revenue. The county felt that the growth that they have seen is normal, and they decided to take the training wheels off and basically not ask for the waiver that uh, that was presented to them. The county collected almost two million bucks more than the guarantee that they received from the state. So I can imagine, Mike, you know, as as things go along, the event center when that's complete, that's just going to help out that that uh, that number there. I gotta love it, man. This is uh this is good, and they're they're not sc- just scraping by either. They got some national press about um, all their uh, all their value down there in the in the valley. 
Oh yeah, they're loving it. If you you bought you know way back when, you're probably loving life right now. <laughs> All right. So and last week we got news that as part of the nearly 900 or 940 94 million dollars, uh, Nevada Senators Cortez Masto and Rosen um, secured for the community project funding in 2022. Two million of that is going to help plan for a small little a little smidge area of the eight mile segment of the Nevada state line to state line bikeway. That's what they are calling that. That is basically the connector that's going to run from Sand Harbor to Spooner State Parks. Overall, that project is slated to cost 60 million bucks, but appears, you know, the visions that we've heard about over the years, it's it's moving forward, Mike. I haven't seen a projected timeline completion date or anything like that for this entire project. But once it's complete, you know, I really hope that they're... Um, they're going to give us some answers to the congestion that we see on Highway 28 during the summer and maybe like some little little pit stops, you know, for where, you know, those beach access points get clogged up. I, I would love to see that. I just can't wait to see how they're going to navigate the Emerald Bay area, the switchbacks for that <laughs> bikeway. That's that, no, that'll not, be quite the feat. No, what not Emerald Bay. So you're looking on the. Um, yeah, I'm just saying when they get there. Oh, that, when they get all the way. Be, that'll be tough. Yeah, that's like I don't know. When's that like 3025 <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> at this rate? Yeah. That's going to be a while. Uh, and then my last note here, e-bikes, you either love them or you hate them, uh, but they're probably not going anywhere anytime soon. And an electric bike ride share program, it's going to come to Truckee this summer. The town council unanimously approved an agreement with B-Cycle to install extra bike share docking stations on town control property. The plans are for 18 stations in the early summer. That is underway. And then there's going to be another 17 that's going to happen at public agencies with the majority of stations placed downtown and their hopes are that it's going to alleviate some of those parking issues down there. Uh, the company does operate in other mountain towns. Uh, they noted Boulder and Jackson Hole, and they're proposing their costs of renting at 30 bucks a month for unlimited 30 minute trips, or you can get a walk up pass for seven bucks for 30 minutes. But Mike, my question to you, what is going to be the over under of the bikes that we see that are going to be chilling in the Truckee River? Because it seems like when these types of programs that are introduced, we see, you know, bikes or scooters or whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, I think, didn't we have like one in, in a tree in South Lake Tahoe? And I know I saw one when they had the bikes. Uh, it, it was at the top of a, a bridge in Reno. I mean, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, you got some people coming out of the bridge tender there with a few too many beers in their system and having fun. There'll be at least 20. Say yeah, 20, 20 over under. I think that's a high number. I would go under there. I would go under at that. Okay. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> okay. Right. Taking you out to the national scale, but this one semi-local, uh, but it was a study nationally. A record 8.2% of the homes were valued at 1 million or more in February, a huge jump from 4.8% two years ago. So uh, this is massive. The top six metros with the highest share of a million dollar homes were all in California, led of course by San Francisco. 88% of the homes in San Francisco are over a million dollars. The next five, here's your lineup. Jeez. San Jose at 86%, Anaheim right around 55 Oakland 55, San Diego 40%, and Los Angeles 38%. So LA surprises me there with the amount of homes still 38% over a million dollars in values. But 88% San Francisco, that's bonkers. Yep. I, I mean, that's that's uh, it's pretty wild. But if you're looking for a steal, head on over to Elgin, Illinois, just uh, 
a tenth of a percent of homes are worth a million dollars plus, putting it in last place among the 100 most populous U.S. metros. So, yeah, we're we're paying for it here in California, no doubt about that. And then the census that we all filled out, or did you, uh, sort of miscalculated a few things. The biggest. Uh, was they reported considerably undercounted uh, number of Hispanic, Black, and Native American people living in the U.S. and overcounted the number of white and Asian residents. So the census has a poor track record of counting racial minorities, and it concluded that the undercount rates for 2020 were not statistically different from the previous tally in 2010. So the total count of the U.S. population for a fact here is 323.2 million, up 5% from 2010. So that's what you can take away uh, from that one there. 5% increase in population. So what is that? It's like, we know we suck, but we suck just as bad as we did last time. Basically is what it's saying. That is a great way to put it. That's uh, you can put a bow on that one right there. <laughs> oh, nice, Rob. <laughs> yeah, that that be that's a tough one to report. Um, all right, change of gears. Michaela Schifrin. She has topped the podium in Courchevel to extend her lead in the World Cup finals in the downhill discipline. So we all probably watched her in the Olympics. She struggled quite a bit there, missing gates and didn't perform her best, but she increased her lead over Petra Belhova in a close race for the overall title by winning the downhill on the day we're recording this podcast here Wednesday at the World Cup final. So Schifrin put down a nice clean run on the new Eclipse course to earn that victory, plus a nice 100 World Cup points. So Belhova finished out of the scoring places in 16th. So, I mean, this will be Schifrin's fourth career overall title. This is huge. Uh, there's just a few more days left in the finals here, three more days, I believe. And she lead, she leads by 156 points. So three you know, races left. You know what happened, Mike? I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. She listened to our podcast a couple of pods ago and she got the skinny on where you need to uh, sharpen your mental, your mental aspect. Nice. Yeah. She got a little, little bit of Ryan Carr, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I of the tiger in her there, right? On. So <laughs> good luck to Michaela Schifrin. We'll, we'll keep you updated on that. And speaking of keeping you updated, we talked about it in the last pod. Here's a little follow-up. We are getting 162 games of baseball this season. After a 99-day lockout, the second longest work stoppage in MLB history, players agreed to a new labor deal with the league. Some changes include an expanded postseason with 12 teams, the National uh, National League adopting the designated hitter, and advertising coming to player uniforms, which you see in the NBA. So uh, you'll see that little logo on their jerseys there. Opening day set for April 7th. I know you're stoked, Rob, in our, in our Zoom chat. Uh, you and our editor, Bill Rosacker, are really pumped on this one. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm ready to go. I, you know, opening day can start tomorrow. Let's go Giants. <laughs> and then it's something to stay tuned for here. Some people are going to be really happy for this. A few people won't be. You're you're in the minority for sure if you're not happy about this. Uh, the Senate passed a bill on Tuesday to make daylight saving time permanent, which means no more 
know, many heart attacks twice a year while you're driving and see your car clock. That's the one that always gets me. It did just a couple of days ago. Uh, it got me in the car because your phone, everything switches over, but yeah, the car clock gets me. So it still needs to pass the house and get Biden signature and, and to, in order to be implemented in 2023. And I did some research. I could not find when this house vote is going to happen. So just stay tuned. We'll update you here soon. on the pod. Happening soon. And then your final fact uh, here's one to really brag about. Just uh, put this in one in your back pocket. Because of spiking metal prices, the value of the nickel in a, U- in a U.S. nickel, that is, is now worth more than a dime. 16 cents is the melt value, to be exact. So um, if you got something that can melt a lot of nickels, go for it. Right? There you go. <laughs> it takes a lot of nickels to, to go through that process. <laughs> All right. So those are your local and national headlines. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with your events rundown. Welcome back. After that quick break, we are springing back to normalcy with events and entertainment. Rob's got a nice lineup for you here. He did all the research. So put these dates on your calendar. Take it away, my friend. Yeah. So I figured, I mean, we had talked about maybe for summer doing like a, a summer event preview. So we're going to, we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to bring a spring event preview and looking ahead, um, you know, to, the first day of spring, that's March 20th. So that's this Sunday is the official first day of spring. So we figured, why not? Let's give you some some things to mark on your calendars or dig into right now if you're interested in that. Um, but looking at what we have, and I started out with, with actually uh, this coming Sunday, March 20th, Diamond Peaks Downhill Dummy or Dummy Downhill, sorry. Uh, if you've never been to that, it's, it's a hoot. Basically, all you're going to get is decorated dummies, they're on skis and sleds, whatever it is, they are launched down the mountain and they go off a jump and then basically they just explode. Um, it's a huge mess at the end. I mean, everything gets cleaned up and everything, but it's well worth it, Mike. I don't know if you've ever been to this or at least seen, there's some YouTube, you can check it out on there, but it's it's pretty cool. It's, I mean, it's, it's fun. You're just watching dummies just getting annihilated. I haven't personally been to one of these, but I, you know, you see all the fails and successes online. It, it looks really fun. It is. All right. And then push forward to March 24th through the 27th. You have the Pride Ride at Homewood. And following that up, I'm not going to touch on everything, just a couple of things here. Um, I'll go into a little bit deeper. Uh, March 26th, you have Blackberry Smoke um, at Harris. Uh, you can pair that up. I know you're going to talk about uh, Gun Barrel. So you can pair that up. These are on the exact same day. Uh, Blackberry Smoke, actually pretty good band. Uh, very Black Crows-esque. I really enjoy them. I have, uh, you know, quite a few or quite a few tracks of their music on, on my playlist. But uh, looking forward to April 1st through the 3rd, you have the return of Winter Wondergrass at Palisades. And last time I spoke with the folks, they said their three-day passes are sold out, so good on them. Uh, but I believe they were going to release some single-day passes a little bit closer to the event. I'm not 100% sure on that, but good lineup event this year. Uh, basically, it's a bluegrass festival in the snow. Um, it's kind of exactly what it is. Uh, but, Mike, I have a question for you. Um, you know, Speaking of bluegrass, have you ever heard of thrash grass? <laughs> No, but I can, my, my brain can sort of work it out. I think it's a, it's a basically a cross between punk and bluegrass. 
Um, pretty, pretty cool. If you've ever, if you've, you know, ever crossed paths with it, but, uh, give me some of that next year, you know, throw that okay. in the winter wondergrass. Uh, nice. I'll take that. uh, then we have April 2nd, you have candle box at Harry's. You can actually, uh, pair this with the pond skim that I know you're going to talk about for heavenly. Um, and I do have a quick candle box story for you, Mike. So back when I was, I was a wee lad, um, there was a concert I had tickets to at, um, Cal Expo in Sacramento and the lineup was Metallica. Allison Chains and Suicidal Tendencies. And that's a fantastic lineup. Um, but right before the concert, I think it was Lane Staley. I think he was the one who got sick, whatever. They had to cancel Allison Chains. And you know who filled in for him? Candlebox. That sucked to hear about. <laughs> but actually, Candlebox, you know, the whole, um, you know, moral to the story is they're actually pretty good live. But I was ready for Allison Chains. And when you get Candlebox, that's, that's a big letdown there. Yeah, very tough void to fill. <laughs> yeah for sure and that was the uh that was the metallica black album tour so you can imagine uh, uh what that would have been like um but moving forward april 5th you have article sound system and the reason i, I noted this is because it's at the um crystal bay casino at their red room which means this is a free concert so you don't have to pay anything i mean you might want to pay for a couple of drinks or so but anytime you can get a little bit of preview because this band um is slated as one of the bands that is going to be at the reggae festival at hard rock if you want to get a little preview of them uh pretty decent uh reggae band there uh then april 8th and 9th you have the band um Mountain Film Festival at Bally's. May 20th, you have Michael Franti and Spearhead at Harrah's. They are a, a Lake Tahoe frequenter, I would say. Not, may, not maybe every year like a slightly stupid, but uh, maybe every other year, I would say. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, always puts on a great show. Yeah, absolutely. And May 24th, you have Stick Figure with the Elevators at Bally's. Uh, I like the Elevators a little bit better than Stick Figure, but that should prove to be a decent show. And then my last one here, because May, I think it's May 28th, right? That is the, the unofficial start to summer in Tahoe. That's Memorial Day weekend. But May 27th, and we talked about this a couple of pods ago, Top Gun 2, filmed in part in Tahoe, hits theaters. So just Nice. Good find. An update there. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to that. Mr. What do you got, Mike? What do you got chilling over there? All right. Well, you went sort of music heavy and a bit of North Shore. Uh, I went more events uh, around the resorts and the breweries on the South Shore. So uh, March 25th, you've got the Coldwater Tapping Party for something they put together on International Women's Day. They It's called the Pink Boot Brew Society, and all the ladies of Coldwater got together, uh, even some ladies that have moved on from working there, but they all came back together and put together the Hey Girl Hey Hazy IPA. So it'll be on tap for a while, but uh, Friday, the 25th of March is going to be that day where uh, they all get to, you know, highlight that. Uh, and then a little side note, Flannel Fridays is going through the rest of the winter and a little nice. bit into the spring. So $2 off your brews there and happy hour, bunch of specials Monday through Friday. You don't see many happy hours anymore. Hey, uh, everybody, pink, you know, yeah. The pink boot uh, brew is this, this is like your four, right? Or five. That yeah. I, I think you're, you're right on that. Yeah. Right around four or five. So yeah. uh, sort of a special way to, uh, you know, support uh, and all the money's going back to live violence free from cool. those purchases. Then the next day, Saturday, the 26th of March, you've got the Gun Barrel 25, and this one is really fun. It can be a spectator event, or you can participate, but you got to have some pretty strong legs if you want to participate. You can do just one run, but uh, there's been, I, I know a guy real personally that 
has done it 46 times. So that is going Jeez. up the gun barrel and then skiing down the mogul runs of uh, the face at Cow Lodge there. And he did it 46 times. He didn't even win that <laughs> oh that gosh. year. Uh, yeah, I think it was something like 49 or 52, somewhere in that range was the winner. Uh, so it's an all-day event. They've got music and uh, entertainment based around that. Uh, Saturday, March 26th. Then Sunday, March 27th, you've got the inaugural Tahoe Whiskey Expo. This is a first of its kind uh, for the area. It's prohibition themed and a gathering of about 20 or more vendors. And they're going to bring each of them are going to bring, you know, two, three, five whiskeys from their brand. So you do the math there, but at least 50 whiskeys to choose from. You've got bands, multiple bands, DJs going, and then a really cool live painting uh, from a local Ukrainian. Uh, Her name is Talia. She does a lot of live art uh, around events uh, here in Southlake. You may have seen her. Uh, Also an old-fashioned contest from local bartenders in the area. This is going down again Sunday, March 27th at State Line Brewery in the Heavenly Village. And yeah, it's a Sunday, so have all your stuff together for Monday mornings, or, or bump the early meetings. Uh, you, you go. You're gonna you're gonna want to heed that advice there. Uh, and then the weekend after that, you mentioned it a little bit. Uh, April second, you've got Heavenly's Pawn Skim that took a little hiatus. Uh, it's at Cal Base this year, not up at the top of the gondola like it has been before. So they're really uh, allowing people more of a spectator event because that's what Pawn Skims really are, right? Watching the wipeouts and the people doing flips off of the end after they make it. Uh, so you got some really skilled people. And then some not so skilled people, uh, you know, it, it's fun. Uh, DJs, all that. They've got that DJ cat that they'll bring down, which is really cool and loud and, and a bunch of dancing. But the pond skim on April 2nd. And then this is a huge one that weekend after Sierra Tahoe's 75th anniversary party, April 9th and 10th. They just announced it this week. Uh, uh, on the day of recording this podcast, they opened up ticket sales and I, I clicked through the links and uh, No, there's a a waiting line, a digital waiting line. Uh, And I I gave up before, but there's 60 bucks. Uh, There's a limited amount of tickets because they do have limited terrain. But Saturday is the Subaru Winterfest. So that's all kinds of vendors out there, really tailored for the family. And uh, then on Sunday, the 10th, you've got the Vans Methodology Contest. And that's where they have the big air contest. They've got a banked slope style contest and more, you know, tailored to the riders that want to have fun and compete a little bit. But both days, it's going to be the who's who of all of South Lake, Sacramento. You're going to see all your friends there. I mean, I know I'm going. I might even go both days, but get there early. Get your parking spot. It's going to be packed. Uh, A lot of people jonesing for that one. Uh, And then, of course, you got Easter Sunday and the Easter weekend, April 17th, all of the, you know, uh, brunches at places like Riva. So I'll let you guys do your research on that. Uh, And my last one here, April 22nd is Earth Day, and that means the Wild and Scenic Film Festival is happening at Harris South Shore Room. It's put on by the Sierra Nevada Alliance, and they've got everything from small indie uh, handheld films, you know, GoPro videos uh, from people making them in their garages and whatnot, to big budget environmental features, something for everyone there, and the money goes right back into the community and the Sierra Nevada Alliance. That is the Wild and Scenic Film Festival April 22nd. So, woo. Pretty good. That's a pretty good rundown, you know, for folks that want to plan for their, for their spring for the next couple months. If you need more than that to keep (laughs) you happy and busy, 
you got something wrong with you, man. You got you got too much time on your hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, that's your rundown here. What you've all been waiting for this part of the show, Joanne Marchetta from the TRCA. After this quick break, thanks for sticking with us. And welcome back, everyone. This is the time you've been waiting for. We have picked out some top-notch guests throughout the the resurrection of the Tahoe Tap, and this one does not break that trend. We've got Joanne Marquetta, the Executive Director of the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency, which is a bi-state compact agency whose mission is to cooperatively lead the work to preserve, restore, and enhance the natural and human environment of the Lake Tahoe region. Since 2009, she has led the agency and the basin through transformational changes to strengthen the environment, economy, and communities of Lake Tahoe. She came to Tahoe in 2009 to serve as TRPA's general counsel before taking on the leadership role as director. Joanne serves on the board and executive committee of the Tahoe Prosperity Center as well, and she enjoys spending time with her partner, walking with her dog, which graces the cover of the podcast here, martial arts. Hey, now, I want to know about that a little bit. Hiking, (laughs) cycling, reading, and experiencing all the best of Tahoe's outdoor options. Joanne, thanks for joining us here on the Tahoe Tap. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right in here. 13 years as executive director, and this is a big one. What was the most pivotal decision you've ever had had to make in this role? Uh, there, there are so many, uh, but honestly, I, I think we I think we have to look back maybe a decade, and I'm going to you know let's talk a little bit about the update to our Tahoe Regional Plan. That took place in 2012. You know, our role at TRPA is really to scale up and to understand whole systems, you know, comprehend the complexity of, of the whole, address all the interrelationships, connect up all the parts um, that in a way that serves the most interest. So a real game changer for Tahoe came from a major shift in mindset in, in 2012. And and the ways that we think our mindsets are actually how we create our experience in life. And so shifting those mindsets can be really transformative. And, and that mindset shift came through that regional plan update in 2012. 50 years ago, Tahoe was all about divides. We were polarized over this threat of overdevelopment. And the divides were economy versus environment, public versus private, Nevada versus California, local versus state. When we had a couple of decades of divisive litigation. And so 50 years ago, the states came together in this really unprecedented partnership to close those divides over how best to protect, you know, this incredible place that we live in. But our early history didn't have very much harmony. Um, you know, 40 years ago, our charge was to slow and stop development. And, and we were successful. We put in place growth control, really strong regulation, and we succeeded in stopping development, but it created a lot of disharmony. And we locked in place 
a status quo. So 2012, that 2012 regional plan turned the idea of stopping development on its head. We had achieved that. And instead we moved toward using redevelopment to help uh, clean up the lake and, and the polluting effects of our old, our old environment. And how did we do that? Well, we, we built partnerships um, and we, we came together to bridge some of those old divides and make connections and find common ground. And we found common ground by uh, a coalition of environmental and business and local government and private sector interests in 2012, where we looked to really good redevelopment, environmental redevelopment, because the environment is the economy, the economy is the environment in Tahoe. And, and by remaking our old legacy buildings that were harming the environment, we could actually help improve the lake and its water quality. That idea of reinvestment that we adopted on the, the date that has so much synergy, we adopted it on 12-12-12 or December 12th of 2012, is a major paradigm shift, a real game changer for Tahoe. And it brought together the largest coalition of common interests in Tahoe ever. And it was a quantum leap forward in our cultural transformation to collaboration and partnership. And it was the secret sauce for success uh, here in Tahoe. So I think that's the most pivotal decision um, that I've been involved with in, in my 13 years, my 16 years. Quite pivotal indeed. So now I'll ask another sort of pointed question at an experience that gives you a huge smile while working in this role. Okay, so here's here's the truth. I love to laugh. Um, it is it, it it is the experience that that uh, is sort of the spiritual elixir of the of the gods, if you will. And there are t- two rituals at TRPA that that make me belly laugh. One of them um, is our annual Halloween dog parade. Uh, one year, I dressed up Hotai as uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, and the, the Halloween costumes are fabulous. Uh, the people put on their dogs and then we parade them around the office or around the parking lot. Um, something else that that can assuredly make me laugh, we have an employee at TRPA who um, on, on uh, unknown occasions will dress up as Hostess Twinkie and Hostess Twinkie and her comrades throw a great party um, that is complete with like things like sandboxes and beach towels and chaise lounges and blue margaritas. And so when we really need to unload and relax at TRPA, I go to Hostess Twinkie for a great laugh. All right. I can't wait for that uh, invitation to come around to the yeah. next party. I want to I watch the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you have to work on not just one, but nearly all of Lake Tahoe's greatest challenges, forest health, housing, transportation, water quality, invasive species, sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. How do you organize a mission like that? Is there one overarching solution? You know, um, I I would have to say that if here's how I would characterize it. 
We, I live with epic collaboration. And it was a phrase I borrowed from Sally Jewell when she was Secretary of the Interior. And we took the principle that progress happens at the speed of trust. And we built and function under and work within this epic partnership for Tahoe. And it really started 25 years ago. We formed the Environmental Improvement Program, which is a $2.6 billion restoration partnership. Uh, and you know, I've already talked about this. There was, there was a time in Tahoe when, when we weren't so uh, harmonized. There was a time when command and control and strong regulation to prevent the harms to the lake, those, those controls were necessary. Um, but we realized at some point that regulation alone wasn't getting the job done. And regulation today, strong regulation today doesn't work as well because our problems are too complex, too fluid. So over 50 years, TRPA had to change and we had to take that command and control approach that we started with decades ago, where we set development caps and set environmental standards. And we had to convert that from command and control to something far more collaborative. Um, and we made when we launched the EIP, we literally started thinking about everyone as a partner, homeowners, developers, businesses, our local governments, our states, the two states, California and Nevada, the federal government. They were all partners in this epic collaboration to restore and invest in the environment of Tahoe. So over 25 years, we've invested $2.6 billion dollars from the federal government, the two states, the private sector, local governments. And I'm not sure folks in Tahoe always recognize how much of what we experience in Tahoe, the trails, the transit, the recreation amenities, how much of that comes from this bigger partnership of epic collaborators. So, you know, it is, it is an overarching strategy for everything that we do. Um, and you'll hear me talk a lot about epic, epic collaborators and epic collaboration. And I also heard you say harmony a few times now. So that is uh, definitely a key of all of this uh, with the collaboration. So um, well, well said uh, regarding all of those. Rob, I will uh, turn it over to you, sir. You know, Joanne, you actually just uh, mentioned recreation. And I know that a lot has been made of, you know, maybe quote unquote sustainable recreation and tourism as of late. Can you help people understand what's being done on that front and the role TRPA will have in helping to execute? I, uh, I sure can. Let me give this a, a try for us. Um, and it, the idea of sustainable recreation derives from the idea that the populations all around Tahoe are growing. And how is Tahoe going to manage the growing number of visitors who are coming to enjoy our mostly public lands and our, and our Tahoe experience. So forest service lands, state park lands, and we've all felt it, right? The yeah. big weekend with traffic gridlock, right? Absolutely. And, and, dest and honestly, destinations around the globe are in the same boat right now. Um, there, there are places like Venice and Machu Picchu and 
and you know reports from the European Union where destinations around the world are in some state of over-tourism. Um, and, and we're doing what we do best now in Tahoe, which is building a new partnership to understand the dynamics of, of the systemic problems and look at better ways to, to manage some of these threats of overuse where they exist, you know, in certain locations, it's not everywhere, but places like Emerald Bay. Um, and so we're building a regional collaborative of land managers and marketing organizations or visitors authorities and, and trying to put in place a model that's working in other places where we're needing to balance people's desire to use and experience Tahoe with the needs of communities and protecting you know, the fragile resources here. So there's an opportunity to come together right now in partnership. Uh, and it really came to the forefront for us during COVID. We convened a working group of 40 organizations so that we could make these rapid response solutions. We brought in place ambassador programs and we coordinated around uh, closures and restrictions and, and we had a stewardship pledge and we put out messages to influence and change some of the negative behaviors we saw during COVID, you know, the trash, the, the disrespect of the resource and, and people. So we, we brought together a partnership and we brought uh, into it uh, organizations like uh, crest that focus on responsible tourism and they're helping us put together a roadmap of the right strategies. So for the first time really in Tahoe, the folks who are marketing Tahoe are sitting down with the agencies that manage the recreation assets. assets. And uh, our role at TRPA is what we do best, convener, collaboration builder, um, and understand too, we're also the transportation planning agency. And so much of the pressure that we're feeling from uh, increased recreation visitation is felt through our transportation system, which is congestion on our roadways. So the transportation system here exists like a slice of Swiss cheese. It's full of holes and we're seeing if we can uh, actually achieve our goal of getting more people out of their personal vehicles and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And that means that we need a transit system here that's reliable and timely and, and convenient and fun and, and free to the user if we, can, if we can make that happen. So we're seeking out, you know, sustainable recreation is seeking out all those strategies to protect the resource, to change behavior, and to look at opportunities uh, to build a world-class transit system here uh, that would include you know, on-demand transport, things like microtransit shuttles to fill gaps and, um, and align on a transit system that we can all commit to. So a lot of big ideas in play there, but uh, it's really the next, next phase of, of uh, of our transportation system aligning with our visitation management. So would you say, I mean, given all that, you know, the partnership side of it, is this, you know, maybe one of the most exciting times for you at the TRPA and maybe at the same time, one of the most complex or, or hardest? I think this is an incredibly 
exciting time because, you know, I said this in the beginning, our, our role is really to scale up and to see the bigger systems. And the place that we're at now in Tahoe is connecting up the parts. We have to connect up um, our recreation management and recreation amenities with our transportation system, with how we look toward uh, human behavior, right? And it starts to get really complex. You start to deal with um, huge, huge systems. And it means bringing in more and more and more partners to try to align um, all of those different interests on um, systems at work. It's an incredibly exciting time here in Tahoe. And I'm actually um, a, a booster right now because I think the last two decades of, of really working hard on building partnerships is helping us um, bring people together in ways um, that they, that we just haven't haven't come together before. And that's that's unusual in today's world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of partnerships, last month, TRPA pushed out a policy change to increase the uh, the size and the speed of forest fuel reduction projects. How is that going to help position the basin in terms of fire protection? Great question. Okay. The concept here is pretty simple. Um, if we have more resilient forests, uh, those forests will better protect our communities from uh, destruction in, in wildfire. And without treatment to reduce those fuel loads, our forests are in Tahoe have been heavily overstocked from regrowth that occurred after clear cutting in the mid 1800s. So these new rules that we just adopted are gonna open up 61,000 acres of overstocked forest stands. And we're going to, it, what it allows us to do is to use low impact ground based mechanical equipment as an option to assist hand crews in those fuel reduction and forest health projects. And nearly half of those 61,000 acres are in the wildland urban interface zone, which means the areas that are near our homes and near our communities. So the new policy is going to help us increase that pace and scale of these badly needed forest treatments. And, and here's the thing. If Angora was Tahoe's wake-up call, Caldor was our test. We mm -hmm. watched this thing come at us and a lot of the preparation that saved Lake Tahoe last year in the Caldor fire started years before that fire. And nearly one third of the 10,000 acres that burned within the basin in the Caldor burn had already been treated to reduce fuel load. TRPA has updated all kinds of other policies, but this one I think will be a game changer, another one of these game changers for the basin because it's gonna allow us to do much uh, an increased pace and scale of those forest treatments, particularly on the West shore where, um, where those, that acreage has not been, been treated before. And so the good news is 
we we have new funds from the states and the federal government coming to Tahoe. And so we're poised right now to be able to do to do all that good work. And it's this kind of landscape scale restoration where we're not going, you know, one acre at a time, 10 acres at a time. We're literally going, you know, 5,000, 10,000 acres at a time. Um, and we're doing that to protect our communities and and create resilient, healthy forests here. Yeah, I know that's that's going to be a, you know, a welcome listen for a lot of folks because that the, you mentioned that the Caldor fire, it just, it, it got a lot of people, you know, thinking about what could be or what could happen. So it, I'm sure a lot of people are really welcome to, to that insight. You know, I have one last question for you, Joanne. Um, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, the TRPA, it's an acronym for those folks in the, in the basin that can be pretty divisive. Uh, folks that have lived here for a long time, uh, before before you took over, have seen things that have happened in the past, and rightfully so, in many cases, made them a little distrustful. Uh, but you, you've made it a point to try and change the culture of the TRPA, and I just like to get your your thoughts on what you've been able to do since you know um, taking the helm and help people understand where you're steering the ship. Yeah, thank you for that because it's 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 something that um, I was so committed to, you know, when I, when I first came to Tahoe uh, 16 years ago now, I, what I experienced was initially was, why is everyone so angry? Why is everyone barking at one another, kind of yelling across the aisle, critical, complaining? You know, we live in the most beautiful place on earth, right? Why can't we find joy in all the diversity here? So, um, and at TRPA, I, I just, I watched for a number of years um, and our people were, who worked for TRPA were afraid to say where they worked. They were afraid to wear a hat with a TRPA logo. They were afraid to wear a shirt identifying them as an employee of TRPA. I was like, why is this? Um, and and, and I, I know in my bones that progress happens at the speed of trust. And years ago, our folks, you know, may not have felt um, confident or trusting in the people who came to our front desk, I think, because they thought they were going to be criticized. And on the flip side, the people who were coming to our front desk, they they didn't trust TRPA to help them. That's, that's changed. But 15 years ago, that culture came from the old paradigm of command and control regulation. It was kind of the idea of do it because I say so. People don't like to be told what to do if they don't understand why. So it was really important to give both sides their dignity and autonomy and self-respect back. And the early, the early days, we had so much disharmony. We needed this really different approach, really, really different. Um, and so I talked about building coalitions of the willing. It's part of the regional plan. I've talked about the EIP, uh, the Environmental Improvement Program that we developed in the 90s, which was you know, to build partnerships so that we could invest in Tahoe. We had to bring that same culture of collaboration and partnership and shared goals inside of TRPA. Our culture needed to invite people in to help them solve Tao's problems and not divide us and, 
and push us away. And, and um, you know, we, I think we felt that we couldn't do anything about those divides, but we could. So we adopted what I talked about earlier, a new mindset, which is effectively a new culture. And we built our new culture on a really simple idea, partnership and collaboration is everything. And I'm heard to say, you know, 5% of our success is on the merits of things and 95% is about our relationship building. And so pulling people in as partners to help solve problems, find opportunities and make a role for everyone became what what we, we call internally our hedgehog concept. Partnership and collaboration is our hedgehog concept. I borrowed the idea from Jim Collins who wrote a book called Good to Great. And the idea is you get really good at one thing that you need to accomplish your overriding purpose. And that one thing for TRPA was great partnership. Anywhere, everywhere we could we could find it, we could create it, get good things done for Tahoe through partnership and collaboration. And so we had to start to see the world through the eyes of others. And we had to start to see new views and mindsets and create connections and shared interests. And that shift in mindset took us, took us almost a decade, but we built this big idea into everything that we do. And the result has been this radically increased capacity to actually get good things done for Tahoe. So um, I am grateful to, to everyone on my staff um, because they have bought into this and they see how it's improved their relationships amongst themselves and, and all of our relationships with the world. So um, it was very gratifying part of, of my 13 years as executive director. Wow. And it was gratifying to dive in deeper on some of these topics uh, with you here on the pod, Joanne. Uh, you know, so many times all of your hard work with the team there at TRPA gets condensed down to a press release or an article in the Tribune and maybe a couple quotes from you within that article, but, you know, getting full explanation and the, the big vision from TRPA is really nice. And we appreciate your time. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you folks for listening here on the podcast to Tahoe Tap on the next episode. Looks like we've got Jackie Chandler coming up from Sustainable Tahoe talking about the 60 year quest for the holy grail of stewardship travel in Tahoe. So check that one out here in a couple weeks. 